If you were with us last week, Paul was teaching and he, was, he started talking about Elijah and Elisha and this journey. And I immediately thought about 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, which he was not thinking about, it seems. Uh, he was thinking about something else. But anyway, he was starting talking and I was, um, I was thinking about 2 Kings 2 and this journey that these two people called Elijah and Elisha go on. And um, as he was talking, I was kind of reading this and listening and felt like one of the things God said to me was that I, I want you to review your journey, Adam. I want you to look back and see what's been going on. And it, it happened to be that last week I had, I had some time off, which was very nice. Uh, so I, I've done that. But as I did that, I realized there were some things in this passage that were quite important for all of us. I don't know about you, I, I love walking. And if I'm ever out walking up some hill or mountain, I often uh, take time to just stop, turn around and see where I've come. Because uh, it gets a bit depressing just looking at this big hill all the time and seeing yourself get into the next blind summit that you think you've reached. And, uh, and uh, I kind of enjoy just looking back. And I'm always amazed how far you can go. You set off from Horton in Ribblesdale up Penn or somewhere, then half an hour later you're like, oh, flipping heck, I've actually come quite a long way. And it always boosts me and encourages me. Um, and I realize that we're meant to do that with our journeys as well. We're meant to do that with life. We're meant to look back and go, oh, look, I have actually gone somewhere. Um, and so I, I felt like God was reminding me to review my journey, to, to look back, see how I've changed, how I'm seeing differently, how I'm reacting and responding differently. So, and this is, I think, something that Elijah and Elisha do in 2 Kings 2, which we'll get there in a minute. But before we get to that, I want to share with you a couple of thoughts about this whole idea of journeys. Um, hopefully, we're all on a journey with the man called Jesus. Uh, you might have been walking with him for a while. You might still be working him out. You might have uh, just started walking with him. But wherever we're at, it's really important we make the differentiation between walking and journeying. Because there's a big difference between walking and journeying. Um, walking with Jesus or traveling with Jesus is not the same as journeying with Jesus. Labeling yourself a Christian, being a part of a church family, even reading the Bible or praying or any of the other fabulous good outward Christian acts are not really the same as journeying with Jesus. Because to journey means this. It means a gradual passing from one state to another regarded as more advanced. Regarded as more advanced. So to journey is to develop, it's to change, it's to grow, it's to become something other than what you were before. To go to a more advanced place. And there are people I've known for years, but our relationship has not gone from one state to a more advanced state. There are people I've known for literally decades, but I've just walked with them. I've accompanied them on their journey, but we've not gone deeper together. We've not known each other more. We've not shared more. We've not shared depths together. And then there's other people who I have journeyed with. I've ventured into new depths, deeper depths of understanding and trust and intimacy. I've shared more and shared deeper and shared more intimate things and details and cares and concerns. But that is also what it's meant to be like with the man called Jesus. We're not just meant to walk with him. We're meant to journey with him. Because lots of people make this mistake with Jesus. They walk with him and say they're following with him, but they never manage to actually journey with him. They're like people who travel a long distance in a car with somebody, but spend their whole time reading a book or playing on the phone. Jesus is in the car and they've traveled with him, but they know nothing more about him or themselves, even after five hours together. There has been no gradual passing from one state to another regarded as more advanced. 
There has been no deepening, no growth, no transformation. So, let's get to 2 Kings 2 and 1 to 3. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not going to leave you. So they went to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, do you know the Lord's going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. And basically, this story repeats itself a few times. Because they start in Gilgal, then they go to Bethel. Well, Elijah goes, I'm off to Bethel, you stay here. Elisha goes, nah, I'm coming with you. And then they get there, and the prophets go, do you know Elijah's going to be taken from you? And Elisha goes, yes, I already know, that be quiet. And then they go to Jericho, and Elijah goes, uh, I'm going there, you're staying here. Elisha goes, no, I'm coming with you. And they get there, and the prophets say, do you know? And it just carries on. And then they get to Jericho, and the same thing happens again. So we're not going to read it all. But this pattern emerges of these people going on a journey. Um, and there's all sorts that's, that's going on here, but I just want to focus in on the places that they travel through. Because they set off from Gilgal, then they journey to Bethel, then they go to a place called Jericho, and eventually they go to a place called Jordan. Now, places can seem a little bit boring in the Bible, but actually place names all mean something. They all mean something as to what, because often they got named because of something that happened there. And particularly the first time you read about it, it's really important in the Bible about what happens there and what it means. So all these places mean something. And we know, so Elijah, uh, a few chapters before in 1 Kings 17, Elijah's come along to Elisha and went, you're going to be the man, you're going to be the next prophet, and this whole thing goes on about burning oxen and throwing cloaks and some weird stuff happens. But effectively, Elisha knows he's going to take over from Elijah as his prophet in Israel. And it seems to me that Elijah wants to take Elisha on a journey to remind him of some key things before he gets into this new phase of what he's doing. So they set off from Gilgal, they go to Bethel, they go to Jericho, they go to Jordan, all these really important places. But these places are not just important for them, they're also important for us. Because this journey with Jesus has another name, it's called discipleship. And discipleship is not sitting down having a chat with somebody. It's, it's going on a journey with Jesus into deeper depths. You can get with somebody and pray together. You can read the Bible together. You can even go to a group that's called a discipleship group. But that doesn't mean you are actually journeying with those people. I can go to the gym and I can go to the cafe and eat chocolate and come back and say I've been at the gym every day. It doesn't mean I've actually done anything. Or I can go to the gym, put my swimmers on and sit in the hot tub and the sauna and go, hey, I've been to the gym. Okay, just because I go somewhere that's got a name on it don't mean that thing happens that you think might happen. But this morning, I want to give you some ways to measure the extent to which you are journeying with Jesus. Because these places are all places that you've got to walk through if you want to actually know him. Because the whole point of Christianity is to actually know him and be transformed and changed. That's the whole point. You're meant to be transformed and then go and transform everybody uh, and go and help bring transformation wherever you're called. That's the whole point. And these four places are really key because they mean these things. So Gilgal, uh, well, it's all about, and I'm going to explain why, but it's all about identity. So Gilgal's all about identity. Bethel's all about interacting with heaven. Jericho's all about instruction and Jordan's all about inheritance. Don't know about you, but I quite like the idea of inheritance. Inheritance means getting something that you've not worked for. Anybody up for getting something you've not worked for? Yeah, that's why we like inheritance. The problem is, though, in the kingdom of God, you don't really get inheritance without working for something. It's there. And inheritance in the kingdom is a beautiful thing, favor and blessing and things happening and doors opening that just, like, 
happens because of this thing called inheritance. But of course, you have to know something about identity, interaction with heaven, and instruction in order to actually get some inheritance. So, identity. Gilgal uh, is the place in Joshua 5 where Joshua and the Israelites camp after crossing the Jordan River. So they're in Egypt, they're all slaves. God brings them out, they cross the Jordan River. Egyptian army gets drowned in the sea, and they come to this place called Gilgal. Now, they've been wandering around the desert for 40 years, and um, in this place called Gilgal, um, Joshua decides to circumcise everybody because basically in 40 years, nobody's been circumcised because they're in the desert. And you go back to before they're in Egypt, circumcision is the way God says, hey, you're going to be, this is how you're going to be identified. This is what you're going to know about. So Gilgal's all about identity. And identity, of course, is all about who you are and how you see yourself. And we said this a few weeks ago, but it's worth saying again. Identity, you are not trying to find yourself or create yourself, okay? You're not a $10 bill in last winter's coat pocket. You are also not lost. Nobody's lost, okay? Your true self is right there, buried under cultural conditioning, other people's opinions, and inaccurate conclusions you drew that became your beliefs about who you are. Finding yourself is about returning to yourself. It's an unlearning, an excavation, a remembering of who you were before the world got its hands on you. That's the truth about identity. And who you were before the world got its hands on you is all written down in here. This is who you were. So you don't need to worry about finding yourself. You need to worry about uncovering yourself because of all sorts of reasons that you, you're not actually who God made you to be. You see, it's why it's so vital you start to grasp the truth of, of your beginnings, who you are in God. Because if you truly are journeying with Jesus, that'll be changing all the time. You'll be on a continual journey of seeing yourself as he sees you. This is Paul's prayer. Um, just a second, but actually, I desire, so this is Paul writing to the Ephesians, I desire that you know by revelation what he has known about you all along. Okay, so what, is, what does God know about you? Well, he knows everything about you, of course. He knows everything about your past, everything about your present, everything about your future. And no matter what you think about that, he loves you. So he knows everything about your past, everything about your present, everything about your future. He knows you and sees you. But when he looks at you, he sees you as you are before him, pure, holy, set apart, robed in righteousness and beauty. He knows that you can do all things in him, that you have a beautiful future, that he delights in you and sings over you. He knows that he's smiling every time he thinks about you, which is all the time, which means he's smiling all the time about you. He knows you're his son and a daughter, that you're a co-heir with Christ Jesus. He knows you are seated at the right hand of the Father and you, you will never die because this is just a tent. It's not really you and you're never going to die anywhere. The issue though is not what he knows, but what you know about what he knows. What do you know about what he knows? And I'm not talking about being able to quote some Bible verses. I'm talking about what you actually know. This is the, we, we think we can quote some Bible verses and that's all right. Okay, well, I could quote some Hare Krishna. It doesn't really mean I believe it. I could quote all sorts of things. I can read it, learn it, but if that thing's not gone in me so that I actually know it deep to my core, then that, that, that becomes your identity. Something happened to me the other day that helped me see uh, part of who I am and how I've moved and developed and changed. It was, a, it was a week last Friday. It was the day of my godfather's funeral, and I'd been out walking the dog, and I was coming back home to pick Faye up to go to the funeral. And I, I opened the door, got the dog in, shouted hello. In our house, you shout hello when you walk through the door. And, um, and there was silence, which is unusual because normally somebody shouts hello back, and I knew she was in the house because she was getting ready. 
So I shouts the law again, silence. Immediately this thought came, I wonder if she's collapsed. Immediately this thought came. Okay, but right there, what you do with that thought tells you about your identity. Because I know I've got a beautiful future. I know I've got, no, but I know I've got a beautiful future. If I didn't know I had a beautiful future, I would have ran through the house shouting and screaming, putting mud everywhere, saying, bear, 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 bear. That would tell me what I know about my identity. Because I had a thought. I can't stop my thoughts, so I'm not going to beat myself up about my thought. But what I did was I had this thought, and I went, that's not my future. And then I wiped my feet, and I took my shoes off. I deliberately went and put something back in the car just to take a bit more time, just to build a bit more faith in me. And then I had the hoover start in the cellar. But you see, that's how you actually know what you know what you know. When those moments happen, and you have that little thought, what you do with it, right there tells you what you know. Now, there's many other things that I don't manage to do as well in, but that one I did all right. But I also realized as I was pondering on that moment, and of course, it's a, it's a moment when I'm ready to go to a funeral, so I'm thinking about death, I'm thinking about loss, I'm thinking about things, and my history tells me that it's more than possible for people to die, because my first wife did. So it's a reality to me, but actually... I realized that right there in that moment, that's the moment I either allow faith to win or fear to win. Because my response right in that moment opens a door. I either go, that could be true. Oh, no, that's terrible. Okay, right there. Right there. A little bit of fear starts to take root. Unless I deal with it. But I realized that's how you know what you know what you know. When those things happen. How you react and respond. That's how you know. And of course, working on our identity is a lifelong process, but it's also a continual process. So if you are actually journeying with Jesus and being discipled, there should always be something that we are working on. Something that God has been saying and dealing with us about. If we really are journeying with him, you'll be dealing with your identity all the time. You don't ever get a day off. Well, you do get a day off, and you can take as many days off as you want, but then you have to live with yourself for longer. That's the reality. Every day off you take from not dealing with your identity means you live with your current self for longer and miss day, future days of a new future self. But of course, it's very difficult, and it's really difficult. It's really, really difficult for the kind of generation below me and down. They, they find it really tough because, and we've got, I've, I've realized this, if you're, if you're my generation or older, I'm thirty. No, I'm not. I'm 45. Um, well, I will be next month. But, but the thing is, I realize, because I've been pondering it why, why is it so difficult for some people, a lot of people? And it's because everything, if you're 35 or below, everything about your life has been short term. Everything about the culture you've grown up in has been short term. Everything about it has been you can get it now and you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Everything. So for that generation and below to think long term is really, really hard. We've got to pray for them because it's even harder than we find it if we're older because they've never known to have to wait for anything. They just, they just don't, you know, I, I used to have to write letters to Ange at university. That's how we communicated. And then it missed the post and three days later I'd find out what was going on. That's a completely alien thought to anybody who's 30 years or under. They haven't written a letter in their life after them. Have you ever written a letter? You probably have written a letter because you write writing letters. Right? <laughs> but you, you, anyways, that's just an aside. But I, 
Okay, number two. Okay, Bethel. So Bethel, this is about interacting with heaven, okay? So the first one's identity, the second one's interacting with heaven. Because the second place they go to is Bethel. Bethel is a place where a guy called Jacob in Genesis 28 goes to lie down, he lays his head on a rock, and he has his dream, and he sees angels going up and down this ladder, and there's this whole thing going on. He sees, like, he has this interaction with heaven. Uh, here's the key thing about growing as a disciple and journeying with God. Disciples are learning to draw directly from the source. But before we do that, we're going to go back to Ephesians 1. Because Ephesians 1.17, I desire that you will draw directly from the source. Here's the thing. Most people rather go through a priest than go directly from the source. Because a priest is somebody who represents God to you. A priest is somebody who has arms and legs and give you a hug and say something to you and write you a card and send you some flowers and send you a text. And most of us would rather go through somebody else than go direct from the source because frankly it's easier because we can see each other and we can text each other and we can talk to each other and we can hug each other. But, but people who have been discipled and are journeying with Jesus are learning to draw directly from the source. Listen, there's nothing wrong with drawing from other people. And initially, you often experience, the vast majority of people experience the goodness of Jesus through other people. You experience love, peace, security, welcome, grace through others, and that's probably how it's meant to be. But that is meant to be where it starts, and there's meant to be a transition, so more and more you get those things directly from Jesus, and the other bits are a bonus. So you know whether you're journeying with Jesus, because more and more you'll be hearing from God from the source directly, and you'll be going to the source directly. And then you'll be blessed by everybody else around you. Of course, we love one another. We're incredibly grateful for one another. But our primary aim cannot be to have a relationship with somebody on the earth. It cannot be the primary aim can be about connecting with somebody on the earth because they will never offer you what a direct relationship with the source offers you. And we do well, and we should do well, to build our relationships and build each other. But actually, if that person is not pointing you to the one who feeds them, that can be really dangerous. Because then you end up building dependency on you. So actually, if you're walking with somebody and talking with somebody, and they're always giving you all the answers, always offering to pray, always offering to do all this stuff, well, actually, if they really, really want you to grow up, sometimes they'll go, you go away and pray about it now. You go away and find God for you. You go away and get of course, there's a, there's a journey to go on before that. But at some point, I mean, I don't remember the last time Paul prayed for me or with me. I, he prayed for me a lot. I don't remember the last time he prayed with me. Years ago, probably. Because he's pointing me to Jesus. And going, okay, we'll talk, son. We'll, we'll, we'll do this. But actually, go on. Write it. Talk about it. Pray it. Get it. Neither can, it, neither can our aim... And this is really simple, but I think it needs saying. We, we can't be building a relationship with Jesus because of what he can do for us. It can't be about or, or purely about the healing that's on offer or the significance, security, or self-esteem that's available. It can't be about what we get from the source or what the source can do for us. Because listen, if we're not falling deeper and deeper in love with the person of Jesus, then what are we doing? We're not journeying and we're not walking the path of discipleship. The, the path of journeying with Jesus is that you are falling deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the person of Jesus, regardless of what is going on externally. Regardless of what's going on externally. 
That's the real measure. I'm really sick and bored of people who tell me that they love a God because their life's wonderful. Okay, well, that's a doddle, isn't it? I mean, any numpty can do that. I'm sorry, but it's, it's not... Oh, I, I love God because he gives me everything I want. Okay, well, I love the National Lottery then because allegedly it might give me everything I want. Like, okay, no, no, but I love a person called Jesus. And if life's good, I love him. If it's not, I love him. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's easy. I like it when it's easy. I like it when things are going well. I prefer it that way. But I love Jesus. And we've got to ask ourselves whether we're just... Are we actually falling more in love with him? Because the whole point is to fall head over heels in love with the person of Jesus. And I don't mean that in a mushy, romantic kind of way. Or a, I mean, I just love Jesus. And of course, all the people around us are tools and helps to do that. And it's wonderful to go deeper with one another. And we should find more and more life together. But at the end of the day, my prayer for all of us is that we will draw more and more directly from the source. So, this second measure is about interacting with heaven, meeting with God, drawing more and more from the source. And, and I realized, and, and one of the proofs for me is I, I like writing things down because it's good to do. And as I reviewed the last couple of years, I realized that I had this book. I have a number of different journals for different things. One of them's for like things God says to me. Um, and I realized I've got this whole little journal full of things that God said direct to me. Well, a few years ago, I'd have had a book full of things other people said to me. Prophetic words that people gave me are... But now I've got a book full of things that God said to me. Because I've learned, okay, now I'm going to go to you, Jesus. I'm going to go there. Okay, so... So these are all things that... It's like, okay, you've got to go, okay. So... Have I actually worked on my identity? And I don't mean like, yeah, three years ago I did this. Okay, it's meant to be a continual journey. So what are you working on now? What are you working on now? And in terms of... What, what, you know, in terms of going more direct to the source, okay, well, from six months ago, do, what do I do? Am I still just coming to a meeting and waiting to turn up and hoping somebody says something nice to me and if so-and-so gives me a hug, it'll be a good Sunday? Okay, well, of course, we can start there. That's okay. But we're meant to grow and move and go somewhere new. Okay, number three. Number four is not quite as long, don't worry. Number three, Jericho. Jericho is all about instruction. So Jericho, you find this in Joshua 6, it's a story of the walls coming down, but it's really a story about a people's ability to follow instruction. So they were going to defeat an army, but they were not going to do it a usual way. They had to spend a lot of time in silence, actually. They had a whole tribe, hundreds of thousands of people, walk around once a day for six days in silence. And they didn't have a phone either. Can you imagine? What the heck did they do? Can you imagine trying to get 20 people to walk around a village in silence and not look at the phones at the same time? <laughs> Be like, whew. But this is about instruction. And the best, the best story about instruction is about a guy called Naaman. Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So, sorry, context for the story. Naaman was a commander in the army. He's got this incurable skin disease and he hears that a guy called Elisha can help him. And then we pick up this story. So he goes with his horses and chariots, stopped his house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be stored and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand on the call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not a banner and papa, fap, whatever that's called, the rivers of Damascus better than all the wars of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he went off in 
enriched. So, this man has an incurable disease, and somebody tells him that this guy called Elisha can make him bear. Elisha says, yeah, you can be made bear, just go do this. And Naaman goes, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it was a simple instruction, but it seems his predetermined thoughts about how it would happen were getting in the way. It seems he wanted his healing to come in his way. Of course, there are, not, there are very few people who actually really like instruction. Most people want God to personally come to them and give them an answer. Um, and if not God, the man or woman who most represents God to them. You notice that Elisha sends a messenger. Don't even go down himself. He just goes, ah, yeah, I'll send my servant. Because the truth is, the instruction you follow or don't determines the future you create. If you don't follow the instruction, you don't move forward. Because your reaction to an instruction determines the access you receive in the future. Naaman didn't like the way he's been treated. There he was. He's on the threshold of a whole new life dimension. Access has been granted. God's already done it. All he needed was for Naaman to walk into the instruction and do what he's been told. But it wasn't how he thought it would happen. It wasn't how he thought it should go. It wasn't according to his mindset. So, of course, he remained unwell. Now... His reaction to the instruction highlighted some underlying issues in his life. Accountability, submission, humility, stubbornness, anger, tons of issues all around there because that's what happens when people ask for help. And when I say instruction as well, I'm, I, I don't think I've ever told anybody what to do. But what I mean is when, when you go to somebody, because wise people go to people who know more than them about a certain thing, whatever arena or stage of life it is, and... Wise people do that, and then wise people listen to those people, and then go, that's what I'm going to do, and then they go do it. And, so I'm, and when I say instruction, I'm not talking about you know, anybody telling you what to do, because I'm not sure anybody has the right to tell you what to do, but I'm talking about when you seek advice and counsel, and somebody says, well, maybe you should do this, or, well, when I was in that place, I did this, this, and this, and it worked for me. Or, hey, maybe this might be an idea. That's what I mean by instruction. But there are very few people who really know what it means to actually humbly submit and just do it. Everybody, it seems, wants to reinvent the wheel and do it their own way. Which is okay, but it's just going to take a bit longer. And it's fascinating that, that Naaman's responses bring him into isolation, loneliness, and separation. He says he went away angry, turned off and went in a rage. Have you realized that your responses could be responsible for your present state? Your responses could be responsible for your present state. You see, we've got to learn to recognize Elisha was a deliverer to deliver a solution. But of course, when you have a need, when you have a problem, when you have a dilemma, God sometimes sends a person and he often sends the person you don't want it to be. Why is that? Because he wants you to learn something. Many, many times, the answer to my problems has never come in the person I would have liked it to come from. It nearly always came in somebody else, which meant I had to humble myself and accept that, okay, they're not that bad, Lord, and all those sorts of things. Fascinatingly, if you keep reading the story, eventually he goes, okay, I'm going to do that. And guess what? Immediately is healed and immediately is restored. Because that's just how it works. 
So that third measure is our ability to follow instruction. And again, it's not good enough for me anywhere, for me. I'm not happy if I've got a testimony from a year ago. I want one from last week. Because I want to become like Jesus. And if you're working on your identity and interacting with heaven, trust me, there'll be plenty of instruction flowing. (laughs) That won't be an issue. Because he's wanting to talk to you all the time. Okay, so... Identity, interacting with heaven, instruction, inheritance. Inheritance, of course, is the good bit, like we've said. It's when you receive something you haven't worked for. It's receiving the blessing that somebody else worked hard for. But here's the thing. Kingdom inheritance is receiving a blessing that we didn't work for. But really, in the kingdom, it only comes when you work on your identity, interaction with heaven and instruction. Because ultimately, you have to be a son or a daughter to get the inheritance. And sons and daughters are working on their identity, interacting with heaven and instruction. It just all ties in. You only, you only walk in some inheritance when you've built your identity. You've learned to interact with heaven and receive from the source. And you're easily able to follow instruction. And when you keep doing it. I, I, I'm in my, what must this be, 16th year, I think, of, of doing this now. Of working on this stuff. Of seeing it. Being aware of it. And I'm still doing it. I'm still working on my identity. I'm still working on interacting with heaven. I'm still listening for instruction. And, and I'm starting to enjoy in these last few years a measure of inheritance. Just things happening that don't particularly have any reason to happen. Good things. But I, I love learning to be like Jesus. And I love becoming like Jesus because I like myself a lot more. And it turns out other people like me more too. Can't imagine why. Well, exactly, it is Jesus. 